Hi, good morning, Zion. It is great to be here with you this morning, and uh, Pastor Jim is at the other campus, but uh, we spoke this morning, and I'm like, dude, I said, I can misbehave with your church, you're not there. I can do what I want, I can make a mess, and you can clean it up next week. I said, is there anything you want me to rebuke, rebuke them for, correct them for? <laughs> Should I pass a resolution to give you a greater pay rise? <laughs> And he said, no, just tell them I love them. As Jim would say, you know. Don't you love Jim and Mary? Yeah. Eh? Well, it's about 10 of you. <laughs> I'll tell them only 10 clapped. Don't you love Jim and Mary? Yeah. That, that wasn't very spontaneous. <laughs> Sorry, you missed your opportunity. It was the first time. I'll, I'll tell them that 10 people clapped for him. Love you guys. It's a real, it's a real treat to be here. And uh, I was just thinking yesterday, actually, that uh, you know, there were so many people that came from out of state, and Jim was a little taken by surprise, and so was I. But I actually, I'm probably only speaking in the states now, maybe maybe four times a year, and most of my stuff is uh, most of my stuff's international. And uh, so it's just a, it really is a joy to be to be stateside and. Uh, with, uh, with family, particularly with uh, Jim and Mary, who I just uh, adore and appreciate so much. They're just really an awesome couple. All right, are, we guys, are you guys ready? We're actually, this morning, we're going to come around the table. And uh, this is my, one of my favorite messages. I, I really get to preach it. Um, but we're going to come around the table of the Lord this morning in a few minutes. And I'm going to teach into it a little first. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to partake together. How does that sound? Um, a couple of things I do want to bring up is that um, I have a book called Walking in Supernatural Healing Power, and uh, we uh, and it comes with a comes also with a, a workbook, and uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat my interns later about it, beat them up I mean, because they told me that we'd completely sold out before the conference started at the ministry school on Thursday night. We're completely sold out, and uh, and then we found them all. So I told them I'm going to dock their salary. And then they reminded me they don't get paid. And I said, that's right, you're going to pay me. <laughs> so if you hear some thumping later, it'll be me and them out the back. <laughs> so what we're going to do is uh, if you, uh, this morning, if you, buy, if you buy the workbook, there's not a lot of them. Uh, I think there's only about 15 or 20 of these. But if you buy this workbook this morning, uh, you're actually going to get the Walking in Supernatural Healing free book for free, all right? But I think there's I think there's less of these than there is the workbook. So, just promise me one thing: don't fight out there, all right? <laughs> this not very Christian-like. <laughs> the uh, the other thing I uh, the other thing is is that um, I just want to do this for local church, and I've never done this before, and I want to do this one because your local church, and two because Jim and Mary are your pastors, and I love them. Right, I've, I don't, I've never done this, um, and this wasn't on offer for the, uh, the conference, so just don't tell people from the conference, okay? I, I don't want to create rifts, you know. But uh, my new book comes out on um, April 29th, and it's called The Perfect Gift, and uh, I'm super excited about this project, so that's coming out real soon. 
Um, but if you order it this morning, you're going to get it on the pre-release order, which is going to come out on the, uh, the shipment arrives at my house on the 6th of April. So you'll be getting it, uh, it'll go out like on the 7th, 8th, 9th. So you're going to get it uh, before the release of the book that comes out. And um, it's a hardcover, it's a coffee table book, and it's, uh, I've kind of written it in the way that it's like, I want it to be like an outreach tool that people, you could just like leave it lying around and people would just pick it up and read it. How many of you know, how many of you know a family that has special needs? Right, pretty much, pretty much everyone. So what, what I'm going to do this morning is that anyone that pre-orders the book, right, now this is a good deal, you've got to listen to this. My accountant told me off a few years ago. She said to me, did you know that you gave away more stuff than, you, than money you took in? You actually lost. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so what we're going to do this morning is if you buy a copy of The Perfect Gift, it's $24.95 for one copy, including freight or postage. Right? So if you buy one copy this morning, I'm going to give you a second one for free. All right? And I'm going to give you my previous book to that for free as well. So you're actually getting $60 worth of stuff for $24. Now, that's pretty good math, huh? All right, so you're going to get Overflow and two copies of The Perfect Gift for $24.95, right, which would normally be just on $60. So just see the, you can see the, the team out there, and, uh, and they, they will help you out. You know, uh, one of the... I'm going to play a video in just a moment, and... Uh, one of the uh, comments that I often get is that uh, the, day, the day of miracles is over. And I kind of laugh because, you know, I never, I never worship the day of miracles. I worship the God of miracles. It's like I don't worship the day. I worship God. And uh, we just live in, in an incredible time where we're just seeing some amazing things happen. And I want to play a little video to you. This actually happened in... Uh, in May, May last year, I have a healing school at Bethel every year. It's uh, May 21st to 26th, I think it is. It's a, a week-long school with all my heroes of the faith that I bring in, and we just have a, a crazy week. This, this year, we've got Michael Corleanis as well. And I also have the, this year, I have this special treat. I have the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary coming. <laughs> and they are just two awesome nuns, <laughs> just Jesus-loving, healing nuns. I, I was so impressed when I met them that they said, why don't you come and live with us? And I'm like, all right. So I flew to Arizona and moved in on their convict for a couple of weeks, uh, not a couple of weeks, <laughs> a couple of days. And uh, I just, I, I worshipped with them, I prayed with them, I ate with them and just hung out with them for a couple of days. And uh, they're just like, they're just radical, radical Jesus freaks. And uh, so I'm like, why don't you come to my school and speak? And uh, they, they, they said that they would, they would love to do that. So I have them flying in this week. But anyway, so at this school uh, in May, every, every year on the school on the Wednesday night, we run everybody through our healing rooms. We put on a healing rooms night, and everybody that comes goes through the healing rooms. And I want to play you a testimony now of, of what happened on that particular night. In the last 25 years, I've had... Eight different car accidents. Um, I had over 20 surgeries in my body. Each time I got hit from behind, um, rear-ended, 
it was causing more and more damage to the cervical spine. So the depression, the chronic pain is debilitating, it's paralyzing. You can't ever seem to get ahead of the pain, you can't get out of the pain. So what happens? You become addicted to pain medication. I was completely, unequivocally addicted to Dilaudid. I had Percocet, I had fentanyl patches, I had muscle relaxers every kind of cortisone and um, steroid injection that could possibly be done in your neck, they did. It takes over your whole life. You have no quality of life. It, that is your life, because that's all you think about. You, oh, is it time to take my next pain meds? And finally, because nothing was working, absolutely nothing was working, they put in the spinal cord stimulator. It's a remote control that's attached to a battery in, that's implanted in your hip. It takes the pain away from the brain, so it tells the brain through this medical device of wiring down your spine and in your head that there's no pain to the brain. That worked for a while until probably the eight, I think, car accident. And even though it was on the highest frequency, it wasn't taking the pain away. Decided uh, to come to Bethel. And um, I'd heard about the healing school. It was um, that time to go to the healing rooms. And I was standing and another woman came up out of nowhere. She put her hand on my stomach and said, fire, fire. I, I, I went down in the spirit. I mean, my head bounced, as they told me later. It was like, boom, boom. Like, my whole body was jolted. Like, I, I was in the glory of the Lord. But it was red, and it was as if he was doing this, like rearranging my whole spine, all the way down, all the way down. Everything turned white. The brightest, brighter than these cameras. The whitest most glorious light. I laid there and I had no more pain. I had zero pain. I could move my head down. I could move side to side. I could bend my body. I got up and I was completely healed. I felt the battery in the back of my hip because it was so hot. I knew after this healing that it was almost gonna be an offense to him if I kept this device in my system. And he said, you need to take this out. They took x-rays, they, they, they said, we have no explanation. The, the battery was completely shorted out. Prior to going into the operating room, the doctor said to me, this is gonna be the most difficult surgery because of the scar tissue that's surrounding the battery and all the wiring. The clips are actually clipped to your spinal cord. I said, I pray over you. I pray over the hospital. I pray over this surgery. I said, it's gonna be the easiest surgery for me. I woke up two hours later. I had absolutely no pain, not from anything in the surgery. Not even the incisions hurt me. I've never taken a pain med. I completely, I'm completely off of pain medication. I had no side effects. I had no withdrawal. Because I knew 
I knew what he had promised me. He'd already told me it was already done. Isn't that an awesome testimony? She's, uh, she is also coming to our school this year, and we'll have her uh, sharing herself. But uh, that was, just, it was an incredible night, and I've stayed in contact with her. Uh, her name is Gerilyn, and I've stayed in contact with her over the last uh, six months and seen the journey. And I tell you, she, her life was just radically, radically changed. Hey, there's just one thing I did forget is on the, I just want one agreement with you is that if you're going to buy one of the books and I'm going to give you one for free, that doesn't mean that two sit on your bookshelf. <laughs> that would be a waste of a book. The idea is, is that, you, that you give one away to a special needs family that you know. All right, so that was just the one agreement for if you don't have someone that you know that you've got no one to give it to, then you can just signify on the form because I know lots of people I can give it away to. So you can you can just then we'll just post you one and I'll give the I'll give the other one away. All right, are you guys ready? All right, we're going to come around the table of the Lord in, in just a few minutes. And communion is uh, communion is just something that I love to take. It's my favorite meal of the day. And uh, I, I try to take it on a daily basis, and I'm not, I'm not perfect at that. But when, I, but when I can, I do. I have a big box of them at home, and, uh, and I just I love to take communion. There's just such value in communion. And a couple of years ago... Um, like in most things in my life, I just want to reevaluate why I'm doing things. I want to reevaluate different uh, topics in Scripture, and that's where the message on righteousness came out of on Friday night. I just wanted to reevaluate righteousness and have a fresh look at righteousness and what it meant, and get back into the Scriptures and why do I believe what I believe, and you know, just dig into that. So a couple of years ago, I dug into the Lord's table because every time I came to church, and I, I'm obviously involved in many communion services all around the world every week, wherever I'm traveling, and have communion regularly. I, I, there's something in me that wasn't quite sitting right of what I was heard being preached from the pulpit and uh, something inside me wasn't sitting right. See, it says in, it says in uh, uh, Luke 22 verse 19, it says, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And it's really important that uh, right there is a wonderful, a wonderful passage. It says, do this in remembrance of me. It doesn't actually say do this in remembrance of how bad you are. And what I discovered is that communion was becoming a very introspective meal where it really became about us. It wasn't about our Lord Jesus Christ and doing it in remembrance of him. We were doing it in remembrance of, of how bad we are. And uh, so I'm, I'm going through all these, I'm going through these passages and I'm building a case for communion. And there's a, a passage in 1 Corinthians and it says, it's in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. it says, For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many of you are sick, uh, are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And I, I used to read that verse and I used to, myself, I used to, every time I take communion, it's like, man, I hope I've got nothing wrong with me. I hope there's no sin with me because if I partake, I'm going to get sicker. And, and I, I realized that I was putting myself into such a place of bondage. The, the gospel is not bondage. The gospel is freedom. 
And I started, so I started delving into this passage. It's like, God, I've got to find the revelation in this because why is it that I feel condemned every time I take communion? So in the midst of all this, one, one Sunday morning, I'm sitting in church and the pastor gets up and he leads communion and he says, this morning we're going to come around the table of the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you, you have sin in your life, then the Bible tells us that we must repent first, otherwise something worse is going to come upon you. And I'm sitting at the back and he's a theologian who went to Fuller Seminary and he is my boss. And, I, and I'm like, oh, no, that's not right. You know, that's just not, that's not, it's not, what, the Bible, that's not what the Bible means. So I humbly went to him. Uh, I do not have a degree. I left school the day I was 15, and I'm now like thrashing out theology with someone who went to Fuller Seminary. And I sat down with him, and I said, Dan, I said, I want to talk to you with a humble heart. I said, what you brought around the communion table the other day is I have a little problem with, and I wondered if we could discuss it because that's not the way that I see the verse. And he said to me, well, how do you see the verse? And I, I told him how I saw the verse, and I said, would you mind if I go and write some notes and bring you a paper on it? And he said, I would welcome that. So I go back two weeks later, three pages of notes, and I present it to him, and I'm in fear and trembling. I'm thinking, this is either going to go really well, or I'm about to lose my job. And I presented it to him, and he goes, do you want me to read it now, or do you want me to read it in private? And I said, you choose. I said, by the way, my name is not on it, because I don't want to incriminate myself any further. And... <laughs> And he sat there, and he reads over the notes, and he's like, hmm, right, hmm, interesting, hmm. And he folds them in half, and he slides them onto his desk, and we move on to other things. And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. So, two, And he never mentioned it again. Two weeks later, I walk back into his office, and he says, uh, before we talk about any business this morning, he said, I want to talk to you about your notes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do I hand my keys in now? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to have to talk to Bill Johnson about your notes. And uh, I just want to tell you something, that uh, Bill's in agreement with you, and we'll, I'll, you've taught me something that day, and I'll never lead communion the way I led it that Sunday morning. He said, thank you for, thank you for teaching me the correct perspective on communion. And I, I thought it was, it, was so, it was so humbling of him to just admit that he saw a better way. And I want to I teach just a little bit this morning out of what the Lord began to reveal to me out of 1 Corinthians 11. And then we're going to partake in communion. So for whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For, there, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. When we break that passage down and we get into that passage, Paul actually says, for this reason, he said, for this reason, many are weak and sick. He didn't say, for these reasons. He said, for this reason, not these reasons, for this reason. See, I believe that when we really thrash into this verse, and I have extensive notes on this, which we obviously don't have time to go into, he's actually pointing to the one singular reason, the one reason why Christians become weak and sick before their time. It's the one reason, and the one reason is, is because we fail to discern the Lord's body. See, it says... We do this in remembrance of 
Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say, do this in remembrance of how bad you are. Do this in remembrance of me. See, when we look into that passage, we actually discover that communion's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about his grace. It's about his love. It's about what he's paid for. It's not about what we've paid for. I'd like to propose to you, has communion become the greatest curse in the church? Have we actually started cursing the church every single Sunday when we come around the Lord's table and we say, if you have sin in your life, you need to partake first, otherwise something worse is going to come upon you. Perhaps it's, perhaps the communion has become the greatest curse when it's, when it's actually meant to be the greatest blessing to the church. And, but we have, we have a false teaching around it or an incorrect teaching around it and we come and every Sunday we say, if you have sin, and we, what we've just issued is a blanket of condemnation and introspection and guilt, you better have a look inside before you partake. See, as a child, as a younger man, I used to, like, I was scared to take it. Because like, you know, I'm not the perfect guy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm repenting. It's like, what if I, what if I missed one? What if I missed a sin? What if there's something I've missed and I partake? It's like little wonder I'm sick. It's like there must be a hidden, must be a hidden sin in there. I need, to, I need to go a little do a little bit more, a little bit more digging. See, what does it mean to partake unworthily? Verse twenty nine. It says, if you eat and drink unworthily, you bring damnation to yourself. See, the word unworthily is actually an adverb, which means that it's an, it's a modified verb. So in this case, where it says unworthily, it actually describes the action of eating and drinking. It is not describing the person who is eating and drinking. It decides the, so it's the action, not the person. So Paul is not saying, if you are an unworthy person, do not partake. Are you guys with me? See, I, I really believe with all of my heart that, I know this sounds a little harsh, but I, I really do believe that we've been cursing the church. And communion should be one of the most powerful meals as a body that we can partake of daily. So I want to, so let's just jump in a little further here, and we're going to just partake in a few minutes because I want to take some time this morning over the partition of the emblems. I think that sometimes in church we, you know, communion is an inconvenience between the worship and the, I don't know when you do it, but sometimes it's an inconvenience between the worship and the preaching, so we just kind of like quickly do it to quickly get it out of the way so we can get on and do the word. And that's what I believe in many cases it actually means by taking it in an unworthy manner because it's the action, it's not the person. You're very quiet on me, you're making me nervous. <laughs> See, Paul was, Paul was not actually saying, do not partake if you have sin in your life. Now, I, I want to just do a little insert here. I, I am in no way advocating that sin is good. Right? If you think I'm saying we can just live, live like how and do whatever we want, and like, you know, it's like, 
that's just the spirit of stupid, right? Just come and see me after and I'll cast it out of you. I mean, that's just, that, that's, that's not what I mean at all. You know, if you heard my message on Friday night on a fresh look at righteousness, that when we begin to look at righteousness and we begin to look at Jesus and we begin to understand that we are the righteousness of Christ, it's in that place that the power of sin is broken. Right? One John tells us that a Christian cannot sin. We, are, we actually only sin outside of our identity. So if we focus on our identity, the power of sin is broken. Dead people don't sin, according to Romans 6, and we are already we are not just dead, but we are we are alive to Christ. See what does it mean to what could it perhaps mean to examine yourself? You know, uh, was Paul in fact telling the Corinthians that they should examine themselves to see if they were eating and drinking in an unworthy manner? No, it does not actually say that they are to examine themselves to see whether there was sin in their life. See, the word of drinking and not discerning the Lord's body, it actually means that when we begin to take communion out of tradition, we take it out of tradition and we take it out of rote, but we fail to recognize the life that flows from Calvary. See, communion is a time when we should come around the Lord's table and every one of us should know the benefits of the broken body that every one of us should know the benefits of his shed blood, that through his body that we can be made whole and through his blood we have the remission of sin. See, communion is a time where we should come and it should not be that introspective thing of looking at how bad we are, but it should be looking at how good he is, of remembering the life that flows from Calvary, that the life and the health that is available for the remission of sin, for the brokenness of our bodies, that it can flow from Calvary into our lives. But yet we come and we do it out of road and we do it so quick because we want to get it out of the way because it's an inconvenience and we don't even take the time to remember Remember Jesus. Paul goes on and he says, uh, "So that uh, what? So what could it then mean to to judge uh, to drink judgment to yourself? See, the term judgment to yourself in this context does not mean it's God's anger or wrath or that you're going to hell. The word judgment in the Greek is the word. The word is krema." which means a divine sentence. And when Adam and Eve sinned, divine sentence fell on the human race, which is weakness, sickness, and death, and, and other effects. See, my friends, it's actually about Jesus. And I, I just, I really believe with all of my heart, and you've heard this all weekend, is that I, I want to preach a Jesus-centered gospel. I want to see Jesus put back in the center of the church. I want to see the cross put back in the center of the church. I want to see a body of believers that start living with a righteousness consciousness rather than a sin consciousness. I've lived with a sin consciousness too long and it didn't do anything for me. In fact, it just made me more like a sinner. But when we begin to live with a righteousness consciousness, you actually believe that you're a saint. And we have our eyes on Jesus, and it's that place that the abundance of faith flows out of our life, and we begin to live in the victory of the cross, and we begin to live in the benefits of everything that Jesus has paid for each one of us. See, communion is just so special to me. There's a story in The Perfect Gift that, 
that messes me up. I went to Germany and there's a, a, young, a young boy there who's <clears throat> who has autism and his name is <clears throat> a Vio. Did I say that right? Vio. Vio, Vio, V-I-O, however you say that in German. <laughs> I didn't have the German accent right. Vio. <clears throat> and Vio, Vio woke up one morning and he says to his mother, he says, Mum, he says, uh, I had a dream last night. And he says, Mum, he said, in the dream, a friend of Jesus walked into my room and he took me out of my pit. And he told me I never needed to go back in again. Now, obviously, the boy doesn't live in a pit or a cage. And he doesn't actually have the concept that he lives in a mental pit or a cage. But he said, a friend of Jesus came in and he took me out of my pit and, and told me I didn't need to go back in again. He says, but then the weirdest thing happened, Mum. He said, the friend of Jesus left and then Jesus walked in and Jesus gave me a glass of wine. He said, why would Jesus give me wine? He says, I'm a boy. I'm not allowed wine. <laughs> and then he broke off some bread and he gave me, he gave me some bread. And the mother is intrigued by, intrigued by this and explained to him that that was, that was Jesus himself giving him communion. Well, that day he then he comes to the conference where I'm speaking and he walks in and his mouth drops open and says to his mum, that's the friend of Jesus that was in my dream last night. So I'm completely undone because communion is so special to me. I think that the Lord was blessing me through his dream of showing me the power of communion. And so I get to, I get to interview this boy and his story is, is in the book and he just saw such incredible breakthrough in his autism. Through autism, he's just doing so amazing. He woke up the following morning and said, Mom, I'm going to make you a coffee. His mum knows he has no idea how to make coffee. <laughs> He's never made one, wouldn't have a clue how to do it. And she said, great, I look forward to it. And she, he came in and presented her a cup of coffee. He said it was the most beautiful coffee I've ever had, even though it had half a cup of sugar in it. <laughs> <laughs> See, many of you know that, that my, my own daughter is is 22 and has cerebral palsy, and she's the, one of the ones on the cover in the book. She's the, well, there's two boys on the cover and a girl, and that my, that's my girl right, right in the middle. And as I'm working through this revelation of being, coming back to that place of being Jesus-centered, of coming back to the place that communion's actually about Jesus, and start partaking of communion every day, I'm like, well, I'm going to start giving Charlotte communion every day. I'm going to break bread with her every morning. So I started breaking bread with her, and I put a piece in her mouth, and she's, she's entirely dependent upon us. I, we have to do everything for her. Put the bread in her mouth, and she munches it up, and I drink half of the wine, and I tip the rest in her mouth, and she'd screw up her face, and as sour as anything, and she'd drink it. And, and I used to drive her to school, and I just would just, going up the freeway, I'd just hand the bread back to her, and I'd pop it in her mouth, and pass it the cup, and... And we'd, we'd take communion together. See, she needed to have everything done for her. See, there's such power in communion that when we discern the Lord's body, that when we come back to that place of remembering it's about him, it's not about how bad we are. 
It's not about what we've done right, and it's not about what we've done wrong. It's about what he's done right, and it's about how good our Father is, that we can actually allow the power of Calvary to flow from the throne of grace and into our lives and wash over us, that we can have the remissions of our sins removed, and we can have the freedom from sickness flow into our bodies. And I go to bed one night in a mix giving Charlotte the communion, and I have this dream. And in the dream, I, I, the, the communion is sitting on the bench in the kitchen where Charlotte's sitting in her wheelchair, and I'm ready to give it to her. And I, I turn around, and I turn back, and she has helped herself to it, which she can't. The bread is, she's eating on the bread, and she reaches out, and she takes the cup. And in an audible voice, the Lord says in the dream, continue to, to discern my body. And I, I think it was a very prophetic, profound dream that as we continue to discern the body of the Lord, we can expect healing. We can expect the healing and the grace of our Heavenly Father to flow into our circumstances because we've made Jesus back the central part of our life and we've put the cross back in our lives and we've put the cross back in the church. Amen? It says in Exodus chapter 12, and we're just going to go for a couple more minutes and we're going to partake, but it says in Exodus 12 there's a wonderful story of the, of the Passover. And the Passover is the shadow of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he said that they're to take a lamb under the age of 12 and the, that lamb is to be without blemish. And they were to kill it and they were to put some of the the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of the house and they're to take the meat, the rest of the meat and they're to roast the meat in the fire and they were to put some herbs on it and they were to eat all the meat that retained, all the meat. See, a couple of years ago, you remember when the ISIS thing was at its worst and at the same time Ebola was happening and I'm at the gym working out one day, and I'm just being bombarded with the news. It was like ISIS, you know, just beheaded this person and just killed this person, and Ebola is sweeping through Africa, and people are dying. And I, I'm sitting there working out, and I suddenly realize, like, wow, I'm gripped with fear. It just, doesn't the news do a wonderful job at just filling us with fear? Do you know I haven't looked at the news for like nine months now? I don't know what's happening in the world. It's like I don't really care. I'm just going to keep my eyes on Jesus particularly some channels that are just full of fake news. Just turn them off. I turn off their pushes, no interest. It's like, because I don't know what's true and what's not. And I realized that I, I'd, become, I'd become gripped with fear. Like, what if Ebola comes here? Do I need to do something to protect myself? See, the, the Lord told Moses and Aaron to take the blood and to apply the blood over the doorposts of the church, of the house. See, we are protected because of the blood of the lamb. Why, why do we worry so much? Why do we get concerned so much? You know, like, heck, I mean, I've missed all sorts of disasters. I've missed the bird flu. I've missed the pig flu. I've missed the <laughs> Ebola. It's like it's coming to America and it's going to wipe us all out. Well, not one of those things wiped us out. We're still here. Because as believers, we are covered and we are protected by the blood of the Lamb. The, the verse goes on and it says, it says this. 
in Exodus 12 verse 11. It says that when they partake, they're in Egypt. And it says that they would to put the blood over the lamb, uh, sorry, the blood of the lamb over the door. They were to eat all the meat, barbecue that lamb up. That's how lamb should be cooked. Under 12 months is the best too, just saying. <laughs> About nine months is just beautiful. Get them off their mother and put them in the oven. And it says this, this is really profound. It says that when you partake, that when you partake of communion, when you partake, because the angel of death is coming, and then he says this. He says, make sure, in verse 11, make sure that you have a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, and you have your staff in your hand. Now that's kind of profound. Why is it that when we partake of the table of the Lord, that when we come and we remember the cross, we remember the cross, we remember of the power that flows from Calvary, he says, make sure you've got sandals on your feet, your belt on your waist, and your staff in your hand. And the very next verse says, and that night they were delivered from Egypt. Let me propose something to you. That do we come to the table of the Lord with the expectation that today's our day of deliverance? Or do we come to the table of the Lord out of rote? Can we just quickly get through this? Because I want to hear Pastor Jim preach. We've got to get into the word. I am not against the word. I love the word. I know it's church. I know we've got time factors and all those sorts of things. But guess what? Communion doesn't have to just be on Sunday. You can actually partake of communion every day by yourself. See, are you coming with expectation? When you come to the table of the Lord, do you come with expectation that today can be your day of deliverance? Because if you're coming with expectation, you'd have sandals on your feet, you'd have a belt on your waist, and you'd have a staff in your hand because they were delivered from Egypt. They needed to be ready to leave their Egypt. See, what's your Egypt? What's your Egypt? Is it sickness? Is it debt? Is it broken relationships? I mean, most of us have an Egypt in our life. But I have to live in a daily basis. I have to live in a way that today is my day of deliverance. That I'm coming to the table of the Lord and I take that bread on a daily basis and I hold that bread and I just give thanks. It's not like, Oh, heck, i got to go to work in a minute. Like, shoot that thing back out the door. No, that's what it means, doing it in tradition. I don't want to say that's why I don't, it doesn't bother me if I don't get to take it every day because I run out of time. But when I do take it, I'm going to make sure that I take time to remember our Father's broken body, Jesus' broken body that was broken, that you can have wholeness in your life, that you can be set free from sickness, that you can be set free from poverty and debt, and that you can be reconciled to family, and that you, your body can flow with health, that we as believers can walk in the freedom that Jesus paid for us. And I take that bread and I can walk around with that bread sometimes for 10 or 15 minutes of 
Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that by this body that I am holding, by this bread I am holding, that you paid for my that you paid for my sickness, that you paid for all of my sickness, that I can walk in health. Father, I thank you that it's not your best for me to be sick, but it is your best that I may that I be made whole. Father, I thank you that by this bread that I am holding that it's not about what I've paid for, but it's about what you've paid for. That this is not, this is not a me-centered gospel. This is a Christ-centered gospel and that you have paid for my sickness, that you have paid for my family's sickness. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that, that, that for the cross. And I take time. And then I will partake. And then I take the, 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 the cup. And I walk around and I declare, Father, I thank you that it's by your blood. It is by your blood that I can declare that I am the righteousness of Christ. That I am forgiven. I am clean. I am loved. I thank you, God, that it's not my blood that needs to be shed, but it's your blood that was shed, that I can be remiss of my sins, that I am justified and I am righteousness, righteous, fully righteous in the sight of God. And I take time and I just worship the Lord and then I, I partake of the cup. And I tell you, it is just brings so much life to me. Because it's coming back and it's me putting Jesus back in the very center of my life, making sure that Jesus is the centrality of our lives. See, I long to see a church that has Jesus back as the centrality of their lives. I long to see a church that has Jesus as the centrality of the church. I long to see a church where We're going to put the cross back in. And this is why I'm so thankful for this church. I love this church. I love coming here. I love Jim and Mary because this is a Jesus-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered church. I tell you, I talk about this church all over the world. I do. I talk about it all over the world of the the miracles that you've seen and the dead raisings that you've seen. I love hanging out with Jim. You know, wherever I go, I always stay in hotels. I never stay in someone's house except when I'm with Jim. Because I just want to talk to Jim all night. (laughs) And tell we solve the problems of the world, problems of the church. We thrash out theology. We talk about Jesus. Like We sat up to one o'clock the other morning and it's like, I'm kind of looking forward to going home now because I need a good sleep. (laughs) Church, let's put Jesus back in the center. There's another take on this verse. This is the last piece and we're going to partake. There's one more take on this verse and it says this. It says that we need to discern the Lord's body. I literally believe that it means a, a literal... The Lord's body, Jesus. We could take another take on that, and we could say it's we are he is the head, we are the body. And Paul tells the Corinthians off because when they came to the communion table, they were rushing to the table because they're hungry and they're pushing each other out of the way, like get out of my way, get out of my way, I'm hungrier than you. And they're shoving each other out of the way to get to the Lord's table. See, let me propose to you that. Maybe that's what it means by not discerning the Lord's body. 
that we're not putting others ahead of ourselves because it's become a me gospel? What if we're to discern the body? What if we're actually to discern and we were to love one another that when we partake of communion is that we discern and we love and we make sure that everyone has received something 